Hi, Maria. I'm still a recovered alcohol, uh, compulsive overeater. And we're going to start on page 96. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. I feel like Johnny Appleseed. I'm just spreading the seeds. I don't know who's going to actually take root. I really don't. You know, and until somebody actually accepts with eagerness what I have to offer, you know, and that's the 12 steps. You know, they don't have to be people-pleasing me. They don't have to do what I tell them, but they really want, they have that desire within to find God. Then we're ready to go. Um, it says here, I f they find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man or a woman who cannot or will not work with that with us. If, I love the word if in this book. I, I circle a lot of ifs yeah. because they're conditions, right? It says, if I leave a person alone, the person may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself, right? Self-reliance fails me. How do I know that? Because over and over and over again, I can't get a handle on life. Not only just my food, everything. And I realize I can't do this alone. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. So see, it's not all that coddling that we do, wasting time with people that don't want to do it. It's hurting somebody else, you know. And as women, you know, we, we sometimes can get into that, um, that mindset, you know, that, I, you know, I want to love you. I want to love you till, you till you can love yourself. I heard a really great twist on that. We love you until you can love others. We show you how to love others, right? Um, but I'm not going to waste my time if you're not willing to do the work. I suppose now you're making your second visit to a man. Now, everything that Kim read was the first visit, right? It's a lot of information there. Now I'm going to make my second visit, which means that we're going to start working. We're going to dive right into the 12 steps. Um, he's already read the book. And is prepared to go through with the 12 steps, meaning maybe he didn't read the book, but he's got a really good idea what the 12 steps are because he's probably been sitting in a meeting listening to this stuff, uh, dragging his feet, wondering who's going he's going to get to sponsor him, right, or her. So um, now they're finally making the plunge, and they're going to go through with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Having had the experience yourself, you can give him much practical advice. If I've not had the experience of doing 1 through 11, how am I going to have the experience to hand it off to somebody else? I can't transmit something that I haven't got. Let him know that you're available if he wishes to make a decision, step three, and to tell his story. Now, and to me, it seems like in that first visit, I'm going to spend a lot of time on step one. And if I do a really good good job of expressing and, and transmitting that information of step one, like just what does that mean that you're a compulsive overeater and that your life is unmanageable, then you're going to be propelled to two. It's going to happen. For me, it happened automatically. Bing, bang, boom. I was ready to make a decision. That's just how that was my experience. So if he wishes to make a decision, step three, and tell his story, four and five, right? I'm going to write an inventory and discuss it with someone immediately, right? But do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. Again, I'm spreading seeds, and I don't know. I, I might not be that person that's going to take them. I work with a lot of um, girls in an aftercare program at a rehab facility, some of them are there. The seed has been planted every week in a step study. They look at me like I don't come near me. 
I ain't doing this work with you. And I just smile at them. I just smile at them. I, it might not be me, but they got a great foundation from me. I, and I know, you know, my mentor taught me, get to know this book inside and out because that's what I'm going to deliver. I'm not making anything up. Um, it goes on, just for the sake of, of time, it goes on to say that some of these things, uh, other ways that we're going to be helpful are going to be to help with financial assistance and, and um, you know, shelter and things like that. And in my, in my experience, I've never had to do that with a compulsive overeater. I've wanted to do it with alcoholics and drug addicts. Um, I've done it with a family member. Um, it doesn't always work, right? But it does say here, um, if I permit some of these things, I may harm him. You may be making it possible for him to be insincere. I did that with my family member. I allowed him to be insincere in my home, telling me he was clean when he was not clean, you know? Um, I may be aiding in his destruction rather than his recovery. I, I softened his blow. He never hit a st good solid step one as long as I was taking care of him. Never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of my recovery. And you can put a question mark there. Is it? Is helping others the foundation stone of my recovery? Or am I just driving people to meetings, talking before and after? Am I really getting into this work? Am I really, really showing somebody what they suffer from? Teaching them. What the heck does it mean to be a compulsive overeater? I didn't know. Um says a kindly act once in a while isn't good enough, that I have to act a good Samaritan every day if need be. And then this paragraph goes on to say that some of the things that these alcoholics had to do, you know, in, in, in that time, were a lot of the things that hospitals and rehabs do today. You know, they've taken the load off, you know, but, um, you know, it's interesting. I can do the work that's set out in front of me. It doesn't look this hard. Uh, what they what they des describe here sounds like oh, wow I got it easy. Uh, they talk about you know losing many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to my business, sharing my money in my home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, asylums. Te my telephone may jangle any time, day or night. My wife may sometimes say she's neglected. A drunk may smash my furniture. I've never had any of these experiences, you know, but I do go out of my way for somebody that's willing to do this work. I will say that. Um, I just feel like that's, that's part of the responsibility that I assume. I'm not doing it for them, but if they want to do the work, I will be there to help them. Um, it says, we seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time. It's not good for him, and it sometimes creates serious complications for the family. True for me with my family member. Um, again, I don't have that experience with OA, but I do have that experience in my own family. Um, it says here, though an alcoholic or compulsive overeater does not respond, there's no reason why you should neglect his family. There should be, there should continue to be friendly to them. The family should be offered your way of life. Should they accept and practice spiritual principles themselves, there is a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. And even though he continues to drink, the family may find life more bearable. This is Al-Anon. This is, 
before Al-Anon existed, alcoholics were helping other, the entire family. I have had the unique experience of helping another alcoholic and her mother calling me frantic and being able to lead her to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Open up, read it from the beginning. If you want to understand what your daughter's suffering from, it was an amazing experience. I was never able to help that alcoholic, but I could help her mother. And I never imagined I'd be in that situation. You know, but when I wake up in the morning, I'm not specific to alcoholics or, or compulsive overeaters that I can help. Put in my path anyone I can be helpful to today, God. Um, for the type of alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. Men who cry for money, shelter, and before conquering any kind of food issue are on the wrong track. Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with things when such action is warranted. This may seem inconsistent, but we think it is not. So they don't have hard, fast rules. Again, I think Bill's trying to tell us you need to get with God in step 11 to get your marching orders on how to be helpful in 12. It is not the matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute that I put my work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon me rather than God. I can become somebody's higher power. They don't have a higher power yet. They may have one, but they don't have access to it. So it's very, very important that I, I have to be very careful. Am I directing them? Well, what's God telling you? Are you praying? Did you say your fear prayer? Did you say your resentment prayer? This is the importance of doing this work in a very timely manner. Because if I sit in my step one and two and three and don't get down to causes and conditions where all of my prayers are, I'm not going to feel relief. And I know that for my sponsees too. So I take into consideration where they're at in their step work and how hands-on and hands-off I can be. But by four, you know where your prayers are. Are you saying your prayers? I can't tell you how many people, especially the young girls, did you pray today? And they're like, uh, I haven't been praying. I'm like, what? You're in a spiritual program. You're not praying. But it's very easy to start developing some kind of dependence on, well, let me call my sponsor real quick. She'll know the answer. No, I don't have answers. I can barely take care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so um, some of these things that they're claiming they cannot master food addiction until his material needs are met, are, are cared for. Some of those material needs are like not really material needs, but maybe it's like therapy. They're looking for therapy. They're looking for a quick fix. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for the new recipe, the new diet, the new this, the new, the new that, um, you know, what kind of scale should I buy? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it says here, Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop compulsively eating. So long as we place dependence upon other people, that means your sponsor, people at the meeting, the meeting itself, ahead of dependence upon God. So I've got to get these people like realizing that all of it's human aid, all of it's human aid. I've got to get to step 12 so I have this spiritual awakening. Wake up spiritually, have a connection in that 11th step. And that's what, where all my needs are going to be met. It says, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. Trust in God, three. 
Clean house, 4 through 9. More trust in God, 11. Clean house, 10. Over and over again, this is what I'm doing, trusting in God, cleaning house. And then I have something to transmit. This is now the domestic problem. There may be divorce, separation, strained relationships. Let's face it, we come in here and our relationships are probably not doing that well. That's, that's one of the major manifestations of my disease. I can't get a handle on relationships. I don't know, you know, when too much is, is, is too much, when not enough is, is enough. And um, I don't know how to be. I don't know the role that God wants me to play in any one of my lo- my roles in life. I don't know how to be how the the woman that God intends me to be as a wife, as a mother, as a worker, as an OA member. I don't know, but I find out in my sex conduct inventory, right? And I can pray for those roles to be uh, molded and met by God. But this is where the rubber meets the road, where I start practicing the principles, right? Lack of power is my dilemma. So I have to ask God in on how I'm going to have him demonstrate through me what he can do in my relationships. So this is where I'm going to start practicing principles with other people. It says uh, that I should concentrate on my own spiritual demonstration. Argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. I love a good argument. Uh, fault finding? That's my superpower. <laughs> so how the heck am I going to avoid that like the plague? Well, I go back into my fourth step, and it says, you know, the grouch and the brainstorm for not, are not for us. The luxury of, of du- dubious men. I can't afford these things. So when I see that the engine's revving, right, and I, I'm ready, I actually have to pause. Step 10. Argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. If I'm barrel assing through my life in my home, I'm not going to remember to pause. I've got to slow down. How do I get that slowed down? i got to meditate in the morning. I have to. Sometimes I do it in the afternoon. I need to do that like around 4 o'clock because I'm shot out from so many personalities I'm dealing with. And I know my husband's coming home. And it's fair for him to give him, you know, home team advantage, home <laughs> court advantage. He's coming in the door. Am I present for him? Am I still working with all my sponsees? You know? He's going to get very, very jealous, bitter, and uh, suspicious if I'm like that. So this is how I'm going to practice principles at home. Um, I'm not going to tell him that he needs to get on this program. I really believe that my husband might have a technology addiction. (laughs) I told him that this morning. I don't think he liked it. (laughs) Right? But this way of life has its benefits for everyone. It does say on 99, little by little, the family may see their own defects and admit them, and these can then be discussed in an atmosphere of helpfulness and friendliness, not fault-finding and finger-pointing. After they have seen tangible results, the family will perhaps want to go along, right? Because the proof's in the pudding, not in my lip service. What's my, what are my actions doing? These things will come to pass naturally and in good time, provided, however, that I continue to demonstrate that I can be sober, considerate, and helpful, regardless of what anyone says or does. Of course, we all fall much below this standard many times, but we must try to repair the damage immediately, lest we pay the penalty by a spree. Man, 
back, here I am, back to my ninth step amends that I can revisit in step 10 or my nightly review. Um, let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. This just isn't so. In some cases, the wife will never come back for one reason or another. Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. Human aid will fail me. It is dependent upon my relationship with God. Be, we have seen men get well whose families have not returned at all, and we've seen others slip when the family came back too soon. This goes to the, to the point of, I have an idea, I've fixed ideas in my head about how my life should be and what it should look like, and they have to be smashed. Because is it possible that those people are not supposed to be in my life? All right? I can look at this with friendships. I've, got, I've had friendships that I've lost since I've been in recovery. Right? Is my recovery dependent upon them? No. I'm still here. I'm still abstinent. I'm still sober. I'm watching people around me drop like flies. Right? And I've got to say my fear prayer. I've got to say my resentment prayer. And I have to say my nine-step prayer for patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. One of my favorite lines in here, it gives me goosebumps, is, Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. I love when that new woman all of a sudden starts working with somebody else. She's in 10, 11, and 12, and now we're walking shoulder to shoulder. That's amazing. To watch loneliness vanish is one of those things. And, you know, to go to a meeting and go, come on, let's go find some new girls. You know, and watch her, like, get lit up and there's nothing stopping her. There's nothing that I would trade that in for. That really feels good for me. Um, when we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. All roads to me lead back to step three. Right? I'm putting myself in God's hands. I'm turning my thoughts and my actions over all the time. And look what happens. It says, follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances are. You know, I have to constantly remind the young women that I'm working with, when's this going to happen? When's that? And they're, they're so pathetic and scared and they don't, nothing's happening. And I'm like, just remember the fourth step promise, Right? When the spiritual malady is overcome, we will straighten out mentally and physically. Relationship-wise, you'll get a boyfriend eventually. Don't worry. <laughs> when working with a man and his family, I love that, and his family, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. Don't get involved. Don't get involved, right? Um if you have been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. In this way, you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your family settled your difficulties is worth any amount of criticism. This is uh, a major shift in Bill's thinking here on the bottom of 100, and it's going to dispel some myths that we have in the rooms of uh, AA and OA. Assuming we are spiritually fit. And that line is a, that's a big assumption. Yeah. <laughs> a big assumption. Assuming I'm spiritually fit. I can just assume I'm not spiritually fit if I'm in the middle of my fourth step writing. 
I am not spiritually fit if I am in the middle of my ninth step amends and I am not in the practice of 10 and 11 yet, right? So this is really pertaining to the very few that have done all, all 12 steps. They're assuming that you are spiritually fit because you are in actively practicing ninth step amends, living in 10, 11, and 12. If that's so, then you can do all sorts of things that alcoholics and compulsive overeaters are not supposed to do. People said we must not go where food is served. Boy, that's going to limit my world. Food is everywhere. That I must not have it in my home. That I have to shun friends who drink. That I must avoid moving pictures that show eating scenes. That I must not go to into bars or delis or fast food joints. And I have to hide my food uh, if I go into their houses. Other people have to hide their food from me. And I mustn't think or be reminded about food at all. My experience shows that this is not necessarily so. So in the very beginning, if I'm not in step 12, actively living 10, 11, and 12, then these things might be true. I want to protect my abstinence with everything I have because it's a gift, and I don't want to take it lightly. So I'm not going to walk into the lion's den, you know, when I'm not safe and protected, when I'm not spiritually fit. And it tells me here, what does that mean? Right? Usually the physical allergy is out of my body. I am not suffering from some physical allergy that I have to feed because I'm abstinent here for a little while. But it says here that I have to meet these conditions every day. Okay, so every it's a one-day-at-a-time program, 24 hours a day. I'm taking step 11. An alcoholic or compulsive overeater who cannot meet these conditions still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with her spiritual status. It's not my physical allergy. I always am going to suffer from, I'm, I'm allergic, right? But my mind is my enemy. That's the dangerous neighborhood I have to stay out of, right? It says, if I don't take care of my spiritual status and I just take care of people, places, and things, don't go to that place where that food might be, the only chance of my sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap, and even there an Eskimo might turn up with a Hershey bar and ruin everything, right? Ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory that he could escape the alcohol problem or the food problem. All right, I've never, ever outrun my mental obsession. I, I could never do it. It always caught up with me. Um, in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick woman from temptation is doomed to failure. I, I can't stay away from people, places, and things for too long. That's why this program is so beautifully designed to be taken quickly. I, I don't want to be... I, I'm, in freed, I, I'm, in, I'm in bondage to food, right? I can equally be in bondage to abstinence. Right? By living this life of, I can't go there, I can't go there, they're going to have this, oh my God, right? Um, if the alcohol tries to shield herself, for he, she may succeed for a time, but usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. That explosion, I've seen. I've relapsed twice. That relapse is an explosion. I think it's going to be, I'm just going to have one bite. Mm -hmm. It is never me easing my way back into food. Never. I'm in it neck deep the minute I take a bite. That's just the way I am. That's just how I'm built. Um, so these attempts to do the impossible will always fail me. So our rule, there's a rule. The big book doesn't have a lot of rules. 
but here's one of them, is to not avoid a place where there is food if I have a legitimate reason for being there and assuming I am spiritually fit. 10, 11, and 12, right? That includes anywhere where food may be. You know, and it's it makes me sad um, when women are very first sober and they have to go to a wedding or they have to go to an event and they have they really want to be there and they can't even be present because all they're doing is white knuckling the food. And they're they're getting there late, they're leaving early, you know, they're they're trying to back it up with every tool that they can imagine. And it makes me so sad, but I know they have got to honor that abstinence with everything in their being. Sometimes it's easier to just not go. It's just easier to not go. What good am I going to be there anyway if all I'm doing is being self-absorbed with my own stuff? Oh, Maria's on her Maria's on her diet again. She's doing that thing again where she doesn't eat sugar and flour, right? And then it's all about me. It's all about me. I can't even be present for people, right? Um, I love this. It says, you will note we have made an important qualification. Therefore... Ask yourself on each occasion, as a recovered woman living in 10, 11, and 12, I still ask myself on each occasion, right, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. Big Book does not tell me what to do. But it does say, be sure you're on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. It's a good idea for me to talk to somebody about my motives because they can see me a lot more clearly than I can see me. Mm -hmm. Do not think of what you will get out of the the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. I can't do that until step 12. I'm so selfish and self-centered. I'll delude myself. It's me. I got to show up and be everybody's personal clown. They're going to miss me if I'm not there. What is that? Right? I need to like think about how I can bring some something to the occasion. The most important qualifier here, it says, if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. It doesn't say, if you're shaky, you better stay home and isolate. You better seclude yourself and isolate from the, from the problem. Don't go near the food. Stay home. No, it says, if you're shaky, living in 12... 10, 11, and 12, then you had better work with another alcoholic instead. Why does Bill say that? Because I suffer from selfishness and self-centeredness. If I can take my focus off of me for five minutes and talk to you, I'm, I'm back to neutrality. There's no me, and that's where I'm really happy. Why sit with a long face in places where there's drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If it's a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you're with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all of your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you're getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous. I love my women in Alcoholics Anonymous. They do things around food. Guess who can go around food with my girls in Alcoholics Anonymous? The OA girl. And they're so funny. They're like, you all right? You okay with all this? I'm like, it's 
not even an issue. I can't even describe this to anybody that has not had this experience, but my nephew turned one a couple years ago and he loved the Minions and I made Minion cupcakes for him. It was a craft project. Mm. I didn't lick my fingers. I didn't obsess over, I, I want to partake in this and share this joy with him. I shared his joy in his, him having a Minion cupcake. Took pictures of it, bragged a little bit on social media. It was fun, <laughs> you know? But if I wasn't recovered, that's, that Minion cupcake means a whole different thing to me. Now I'm vicariously sniffing it, wanting to lick it. Why would I put myself in that position? My girls in AA want to have a, a Christmas uh, cookie exchange. I can do that. I bake cookies with my family every year. It's a craft project. I can't explain that. I, my cookie baking, I would take off a week from work <laughs> and bake ex exorbitant amounts of cookies. And they were really, really like high end, like had to be like, cause that's part of my insanity <laughs> is my ego. And you know, have them be gone. Christmas, I wouldn't let anybody else eat them, but I would sneak them at night. You know, like why are the rules always different for me? Now I can partake, I can be with my mother and sister and do something as a tradition that is beautiful. I've got great memories of this from, from being a kid. And the focus is not on me eating mass quantities of them. It has nothing to do with that. That's amazing. Get there. You want to live that. You want to experience that, right? Don't start withdrawing again just because your friends have food around. Where isn't their food? Where isn't their food? And he's going to take a now a, a little bit of a different approach, and he's going to go back to what is my job now? I've got a job description. God's, I think really these 12 steps are getting me ready for something all along. And I think it's I can be in a normal body size and be thin and normal and go about my life and be happy. And that is not what my job description looks like at all, right? It's really not. Um, it says, my job now is to be at the place where I can be of maximum helpfulness to others. Never hesitate to go anywhere where you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. When I first got sober and abstinent, I was afraid to go to meetings that were not big book studies because I was afraid that I would get swallowed up by fellowship and forget everything that I learned in my big book study. I really did. That was not helpful. It was judgmental. It was full of fear. And I needed to do some fear prayer on that, do a little bit of inventorying on that, and become get, just come on the other side of that. I moved to an area that has very, very little big book uh, knowledge or experience. And needless to say, I'm like an alien, but I'm okay. I'm not going to lose anything. Everything that I have, my foundation is set, and it's set in 10, 11, and 12, right? Many of us keep food in our homes. Listen, I got kid. I have a kid. It, I, I do not dictate and run the show at my house and say, none of you can have anything in this house ever. We can't bring it in at all. Well, when I was first abstinent, I asked everybody, would you mind if we clean the house out of the things that I can't have? And that was not a lifelong decision. They were willing to do that with me because they wanted the best for me. And then once I was recovered, things started coming in. 
You know, there's things, that my binge foods are in my house. I have a garage full of alcohol. I have, this I can't even fathom myself. I have a carafe of wine in my refrigerator that my husband opened and is not drinking it. How can you not finish that? <laughs> like, I don't get it. I'm more like in disbelief over it. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful because he can live the way he wants to live in his own home. And I don't have to dictate. You can't have that because I might pick it up. Right? We have birthday cake. We have major celebrations at my house. We have amazing Christmas dinners. You know, um, we, we're Italian. We have pasta. We're Italian. <laughs> like, come on. I'm going to tell my family we're not going to have family dinner anymore? That's ridiculous. But I need a lot of work here. The good news is it doesn't take long to get there. It really doesn't take long. Um, on 103, it says, we are careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution. Experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone. Every new alcoholic looks for this spirit among us and is immensely relieved when, we, when he finds that we are not witch burners. The spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics who li whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity and arrogance. We would not even do the cause of temperate eating or dieting any good for one, not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told anything about alcohol by one who hates it. I have very uh, strong views upon, I have strong views about everything, but food is one of them. And when my sister-in-law's over and, and we're making food and she's giving her son food, I have to shut my mouth. It's okay. You, it's your kid. You're giving them preservatives and sugar, and I want to get on my high horse and my soapbox because this behavior turns. I swear he's one of us, you know? <laughs> but who am I? Who am I? She's not going to listen to me if I'm like that either. I can be, do that in a helpful spirit. And sure enough, she came to me a couple weeks ago and said, he can't have sugar. He turns into a monster, so we're not going to give him sugar for a little while and see what happens. And I said, 100% on board. How can I be helpful? You know, and I can help her read a label. I can tell her that there's 500 names for sugar that she might not know of, right? Hmm. Um, someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous and OA will help the public to better realize the gravity of the compulsive overeater, bulimic, anorexic, right? binge eating disorder. I mean, that's our job. How are we doing with that? Are we helping the public better realize the gravity of our problem? Or do they think it's just another diet plan, right? Um, we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. Drinkers won't stand for it. Uh, italic writing is important. So after all, our problems were of our own making. Mm. Bottles we're only a symbol. Food is just a symbol. Shopping is a symbol. Sex is a symbol. TV watching, Facebook, Pinterest, symbols for me. All of them. Besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. We have to. I've got to get to step 10 to get neutrality. I have to stop fighting everything and anybody because the problem is not the food. If the problem was food... I would have found a diet a long time ago and been able to stay on it, right? The problem is my thinking mind. And, it's, and because I'm so experienced with being so extra with everything, I can see that the food is just a symbol, just like everything else is. So we have to. 
So I encourage everybody, take the experiment. Do it all the way. Do the way, do the way it's outlined. Don't make it up. Find somebody to help you. I always want to do everything on my own. Why should we do that? I don't have to do that. I have a whole fellowship of people that can help me. And so do you. So take the experiment, do it, and see what you get. That's how I started. My arrogance got me here, and it kept me here. <laughs> it, I, I proved everybody right instead of tr- proving them wrong. So that's all I have. Thank you.